Hello and welcome to episode 358 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and uh, listeners, we've done this somehow every year since 2015, a year-end episode, which is typically among the least retro episodes of Retro Encounter, since we talk about only the most recent 12 months of games. Um, but we're, we're continuing that. Uh, Random Encounter, uh, one of RPG Fan's other podcasts, they look ahead to 2023 episode about a week or two ago, so now we're doing our version of that, a retroactive look back. Who's, who's joining me on 2022's version of our year in review episode? They are John O'Logan. Hello. Zach Wilkerson. Hello. Tom Cox. Hi there. And Audra Bull. Hiya. Audra, Tom, Zach, Jono. Uh, we have a gigantic list of um, 2022 releases here. It is three pages long, and that's after I made some cuts to get it onto something a little bit more manageable. Yeah, there were a few games released this year, eh? Yeah, the, the quantity was not a problem here, and I don't think quality was really a problem either because there was a lot of excellent stuff getting released. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I'm just a, I'm a little bit overwhelmed by the just the quantity and diversity here. But uh, we this episode would, could be seven hours if we talk about every game on this list, even if it's just a vague memory of Tom writing it for a news post or something. <laughs> um, but so we're not going to do that. We're going to um, whittle this down to ten or so, where uh, each of us picks two as di- as discussion topics, and um, we'll, so we'll go over those ten favorites. Not a real organized top ten or anything, just a somewhat slapshot ten that we really really liked, and then maybe a, a speed round at the end, um, just to give us a snapshot of how we feel about 2022 in video games. But uh, uh, I, I picked on you already once. Uh, Tom, starting with you, what's your sort of overall impression of how 2022 went? What was your 2022 in video games like? Honestly, I think uh, going into 2022, we expected some some really big games like, you know, Zelda, Starfield. There was even like sort of hopes that Final Fantasy 16 might make it out. And obviously, they've all been delayed into 2023. But I still feel like we had a lot of really strong releases this year. Maybe they weren't quite as big as some of those names i mentioned before but you know we had remakes that we never thought would happen like live alive and some great indie games and also just some standard you know great triple a releases yeah there were some more expected uh releases and some nice surprises as well at least that's true of me uh but uh audra same question to you um what was your impression of 2022 in video games and how did they go for you I thought it was a lot of quantity and quality. There was quite a few fun games to play, and I never really lacked for having a title to try out. Yeah, and I mean, you you wrote something like three <laughs> reviews a month for for the full twelve months, so you had plenty of new things to play. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt about that. Um, but uh, Zach, your turn. So, I mean, I think I played more new games this year than I have in a while. Um, it's because there are a lot of games that really appealed to me. I mean, I um, got to play another t- a tactical RPG for the first time in a while that I actually enjoyed. Um, it was the year of Xenoblade. Um, and I-, I think that there was a-, a lot that I wanted to play that I didn't get to play. And like some late year releases, which I'll talk about later, that were really good. So it- it's not necessarily looking as packed or amazing as next year does. But... Um, I had plenty of games this year that I enjoyed. I am very excited about a couple games next year, but that's uh, that that is the topic of the random encounter episode from a little while ago. <laughs> but speaking of random encounter, we have one of their hosts here, uh, Jono. Uh, looking back at 2022 once again, how did you think the year went for you? 
I think it was a damn good year for video games. Um, I think that if you look at the conversation online, you have people saying, oh, it was terrible, and other people saying, oh, it was good, and that just depends on their personal tastes. Personally, for RPGs and adventure games, I thought it was a terrific year. Um, we not only got some outstanding titles, some really great surprises, but we also got some announcements this year for games that are coming up next year that are really exciting. So in terms of like general buzz, excitement, uh, studios finally catching up with the COVID-19 backlog I imagine that they had, it's been a good year. Um, it's been a good year for me in video games. I, uh, you know, I spent a lot of it chipping away at my backlog, playing some games that I've, I've wanted to play for years. Uh, thank you to Retro Encounter for that opportunity in a few cases. So yeah, it's, I had a really good year. Yeah, I, uh, two things um, commenting on what you said, Jono. I, I think that you're right, that we have a little bit of a COVID echo happening. A bunch of games that probably were going to come out in 2020 or 2021 got delays. And 2022, to a degree, like maybe it was a slightly dense year because um, it had some delayed games finally coming out as people started to get a better handle on the pandemic. But uh, and also um, t- talking about personal backlogs, this is one of my most um, prolific years I've ever had playing video games. And uh, I don't know if any of you follow me on social media, but I've been documenting all the games I played this year. And right now I'm at 45. <laughs> so and by the end of the year, probably oh, can get to 47 or 48. So like, oh, wow. With with more than 80 percent of those being backlog, uh, I, I did knock out more backlog than usual this year, which is um, a, a bit of personal uh, pride for me. But that's pretty damn good, Slosi. I also probably bought more than 40 games, so that's not helpful, really, in the long run. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with working on the backlog, is while you're working on the backlog, more games are coming out that get added to the backlog, so it's just kind of zero-sum by the end of the year. Oh, it's 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 not a zero-sum, it's a negative-sum. Sum. I, I am fighting a losing war against <laughs> my backlog. It's a never-ending cycle. Yeah, it, it's a vicious cycle, but... I, I mean, I guess it's my turn for the same question. I thought this was an unusually good year, like, I... I uh, um, I, I, I like Zach. Sometimes I, I'll measure years in. Uh, oh, is this a Xeno year or is this a Final Fantasy fourteen year? And and sometimes a like a certain game will dominate my attention span for a large portion of the year. But uh, because I, there's one game like that that happened for me, but I get, but I guess it's, but I, I, it, I did sometimes lose track of what year it was because it wasn't an FF fourteen year, and I know those are always the odd numbered ones. Yeah, there was a lot to enjoy this year. I'm not sure I liked any game that I played as much as my favorite games from 2020 or 2021, but that's just personal bias seeping through. But there were so many good things that um, RPG Fan has dozens of reviews and features and podcasts giving the highlights. But uh, today we're going to give our own version of those highlights. Mm. So does anyone ha- uh, want to go first w- with uh, putting a game forward to the uh, for the Midnight Society? Sure, I can. Um, and one of the more obvious choices, which is Xenoblade Chronicles 3. So I, I reviewed Xenoblade Chronicles 3 for the site, um, and I gave it like a, a very high score. Um, game of the Year almost certainly won't be out by the time this posts. But without spoiling anything, let's just say Xenoblade Chronicles 3 did well on both our and our reader choice, reader's choice. And it, it, it's it's there for a reason. I mean, it's, um, it, it, it's a remarkable game in terms of, you know, I, I'm playing Xenosaga right now, or I just finished it recently. And just watching how, like, Takahashi develops as a game designer and monolith develops as a game designer and seeing it all kind of come to a head in Xenoblade Chronicles three, where you have one of the best stories they've told um, and, and some incredible highs. You have combat that is fun and fresh and accessible to, um, you know, a person who maybe 
isn't as into MMOs as, you know, someone like me. Um, and the exploration is fantastic. It feels like sort of like the culmination of uh, Monolith's work in a lot of ways. Um, and, and like they're going to kind of step away from that and do maybe something different from here. And so I think that um, it, it's certainly worthy of being in Game of the Year conversations. I know like Elden Ring certainly is also its own thing as well. But um, it, it's a remarkable achievement in gaming. And I, I loved it. I, I, as an aside, I think we maybe I, sh- I should mention we are in a bit of a Xeno month right now. Uh, I mean, we did a retro encounter episode on Xenoblade Chronicles 3. That was a very enthusiastic spoiler cast that went on for over two hours. And also, we've been playing Xeno Saga as part of a retro encounter with two episodes on that uh, having just released. And I, I was regretfully un- unable to finish Xenosaga in time for the podcast. And it was it was the first time I failed to finish a Retro Encounter game in about two years. So that's even more shame on, on my family's name. But uh, yeah, it's, it, we're having a Xeno moment right now. And uh, it, like, everyone that puts time into Xenoblade Chronicles 3 really, really likes it. I have, I've hardly seen an unkind word about it other than maybe people complaining about its um about its its breadth and how it maybe has a little bit of tedium in a way that every jrpg has a little bit of tedium but uh i mean this is an almost universally praised mm-hmm. game has anyone else here on the panel played it no unfortunately the uh xeno games are on my backlog um i really thought about trying them this year but uh Chronicles 1 has not been going on sale. It's been very stubbornly remaining at full price. So when it goes on sale, I will download it and I will play it. But until that point, I'm yeah. probably three is going to be a ways away for me. Yeah. yeah, they're on my backlog too. Yeah, much like Jono and Audra. On my backlog, I have I did feel I was missing out when like, you know, everyone was all hyped up about it. But uh, yeah, just like Jono, waiting for that sale on, on Xeno 1. Oh, that's weird. I guess I'm the I have the second most uh, Xeno on my resume of the crowd here. I I I played and completed the first Xenoblade and, and really really love it. And I've played uh, I don't know maybe half of Xeno Saga and around eighty percent of Xeno Gears and thought they and thought they they are good but flawed. But I mean, regardless of your Xeno feelings, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles three. Uh, a universally acclaimed acclaimed bag, banger, and like Zach said, it did very, very well on our Game of the Year feature, which is going to post soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I have very few negative things to say about it. I, the ending fumbles a little bit. Um, I don't know. There's some tutorials that are a little annoying, but it, it, it just hits like some incredible highs. Like we're talking like your Automata level highs um, that I think um, it, it's it's worth playing for anybody. And obviously if you've played one and two, it's better. Um, but not, it's not really that meaningful to have played one and two for three. Um, not in the way that I think one and two kind of live together. Um, so you could just jump into three, but one and two, I think are both worth playing, especially one for most people. I like two a little more than most, but, um, yeah. I I am thinking of playing Xenoblade two and three in 2023, because I've had two for several years and had difficulty getting into it, but want to give it a chance again. And I received Xenoblade 3 as a gift very, very recently. So I have both of them ready to roll. We'll see how I manage my time in podcasting in 2023, but I I would like to get into those very soon, especially since I I genuinely love Xenoblade Chronicles 1. It's probably my favorite Wii game. Um, But that was Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Thank you, Zach, again, for uh, bringing it to our attention as it will 
also have plenty of commentary um, when the proper game of the year feature rolls out. Uh, do we have someone else that wants to put it put down a topic? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I'll go second, and uh, because I'm going second, I will pick Horizon Forbidden West. Um, because Horizon <laughs> Forbidden West is <laughs> forever second. Um, I don't know if people know the history, but Horizon Zero Dawn came out uh, a few years ago. Uh, it came out, I think it was a week before uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So clearly one of those games uh, was considered game of the year and the other wasn't. And this year, the exact same thing happened with Forbidden West coming out and then Elden Ring coming out the week after. So uh, this is the Horizon series is sort of the perpetual bridesmaid uh, instead of a bride kind of game. Uh, but I think fans of the series really, really love it. And I count myself among that. Um, earlier this year, I knew Forbidden West was coming out, so I wanted to catch up. So I played... Uh, I played Zero Dawn, and my plan was I was going to take an, a break between the two games because they're big freaking games, but I just fell in love with the world. I fell in love with the style of gameplay. I really fell in love with the char- character of Aloy, so I just moved straight into Forbidden West uh, right after I finished it, and uh, I did not regret that decision. Um, really an amazing game, I think. Uh, astounding world that they created. It's a beautiful open world uh, with some really, really... Uh, show-stopping locations in it that really do just make you wander at the the beauty of this post-apocalyptic landscape. Um, The character of Aloy was deepened quite a bit for this game, uh, really delving into her, the insecurities that were hinted at uh, in the first game and her, her ability to bring people to her and draw people to her cause combined with the fact that she is a incredible loner and just instinctively rejects help because she needs to do it all herself. So watching her struggle with that throughout this game was uh, excellent. Absolutely stunning looking game too. Like the graphics in this game. Uh, We had a brief discussion uh, pre-show about how graphics in the last few generations have, you know, started to level off where games that are beautiful, like on the PlayStation three era can still be considered beautiful. Now Um, forbidden West, I do think takes it up a little bit, a notch from, uh, uh, Zero Dawn. It's just a stunning looking game. Uh, brilliant engine, brilliant combat, uh, and I really, really liked it. I know I might be in the minority here because Caitlin isn't here. Um, and Caitlin would be uh, defending this game ferociously if uh, she was here. I'm just going to say that it was my one of my favorite game experiences of the year. I think it was just fantastic. And I really, really hope that when they release the third game that they they get a little bit more luck with the release date so it's not overshadowed for the third time. Yeah, I think both of them came out in February of their release year, right? Because I, I mean, my birthday is in February, and I remember both Horizon games coming out close to my birthday. Well, one of them on my birthday, exactly. So, uh, yeah, bad luck with those release, with those February release dates. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly glad that Guerrilla Games is able to uh, make a game with some color in it, finally, because there, <laughs> there are two games before Horizon were the uh, were the kill zone games for PlayStation 3 and those are gunmetal gray and post apocalypse brown for the entire runtime for so for them to make a shiny lush vibrant game like Horizon Zero Dawn after the kill zone games was uh what must have been just a breath of fresh air to their graphic designers I mean, I'm and uh, and background artists I, I imagine it was a big relief yeah yeah but uh I I I've only played a little bit of the first one I thought it was I, I thought it was cool but 
when I started taking down the mecha dinosaurs and with basically the same method every time, I, I got a little bored of it and, and didn't get terribly far. I wouldn't mind revisiting it because it is it is a very beautiful, cool game. And I mean, you know, a a a very green, beautiful post-apocalypse full of robot dinosaurs is just is just a fun concept to say aloud in the sentence. So I'm, I'm it's, it's not I'm not I'm not uninterested. I just I don't know. There's there's too many video games is really what it boils down to. Um, but uh, Tom, Zach, or, or Audra, uh, do or do we have any other Horizon fans in the house? Um, just like you, I've I've played a bit of the first one, and you know I like the premise, but I I seem to remember something else came up, and I sort of put it down. But from my understanding, like the new one, rather like the other one, is like it's one of the most like graphically impressive sort of on the system. I remember when Horizon Zero Dawn sort of like the uh, seeing the trailers for that on PlayStation Four, like. That was mind blowing, and then like looking at the new one, it seems to have sort of done the same thing, which is definitely sort of a well, uh, a compliment to Guerrilla Games. Sorry, Tom, did you just euphemistically refer to Breath of the Wild as something else came up? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's appropriate. So. I mean, you if, would. If, I'm a little surprised <laughs> at Tom. <laughs> if you were playing it at time of release in 2017, that's exactly what could have happened. To be fair, I, I don't think I picked it up until a bit a bit later. I think it was a couple years later. Okay, because I love the first game, but I am totally with you in Breath of the Wild, blowing it out of the water. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I've played about as much Horizon as both of you, um, but I, I do prefer it to Breath of the Wild, so there's that. <laughs> I... I played Some only a little bit of it, wrong. too. But I, I liked it. I want to go back and finish it. I don't know how Zach was com- was was at the exact same time right and wrong. It's blowing my mind. <laughs> I mean, Zach is maybe the uh, the most visible Breath of the Wild uh, disdainer among staff, especially now that Rob Steinman is no longer part of RPG <laughs> fan. <laughs> if you guys ever hang out, you can you can complain about uh, your opposing NFL teams, but then bond over how uh, how overrated Breath of the Wild is. That's uh, fair. But um, uh, for although uh, to make it clear, I really really enjoyed Breath of the Wild. I uh, it was like the first game I bought for my Switch uh, later that same year it came out, and uh, I I had a very nice time with it. Uh, I mean, but when it came to you know green open worlds released in that same in the same part of 2017, I did prefer Breath of the Wild to Horizon uh, Zero Dawn. And Forbidden West is I mean a lot of people really like this game. I mean uh. uh, uh uh, Caitlin likes Horizon and Aloy so much that I think she's written multiple features about either the character or the series. She has. She wrote the uh, a sexual representation RPGs feature a, a few months ago, which we did an episode of Random about actually, and Aloy featured prominently in it. Caitlin is very um, outspoken about how much she enjoys Horizon, and I mean, it's, I guess the world's slightly more beautiful for having these two gorgeous games in it because it's uh, the thing that I think was most striking about them to me was their visuals when I was playing the first one and uh, and and reading and watching things about the second one. I think that was the drawback that a lot of people had. Uh, the big drawback to Zero Dawn compared to Breath of the Wild was Breath of the Wild, you could climb anywhere. And in Zero Dawn, you could climb where you were allowed to climb. Yeah, oh yeah. There, there was, there was invisible barriers at times, yeah. which, uh, which people don't enjoy in uh, no. in the 2010s and 2020s. And they've mitigated that to a degree in Forbidden West. There's still you can't climb anywhere, but you can climb a lot more places. It's much more. It's the game design. They're just two different philosophies of game design. That was what it comes down to. And Breath of the Wild just kind of won out on that front. And 
Elden Ring apparently won out on the front of uh, this year. Of this year. That being said, still a remarkable game. You know, small tangent here. So many games have you uh, ha- have protagonists way too good at climbing. I, maybe maybe I should blame Uncharted for this or something. But like I now that I'm in my mid thirties, when I see uh, characters climbing and taking falls and, and, and I, my my wrists and back hurt just yeah. watching them. I have a hard time yes. getting out of bed. So yeah, yeah, I, and, I and, yeah. So like like so like when when half of the games have people able to hang from a ledge from one arm and then jump to another ledge, I'm just watching this going. This is impossible. Video it's games called a power fantasy, Salosi. <laughs> <laughs> being able to get out of bed in the morning it's a power fantasy oh boy well anyway all right uh maybe it's definitely time to move on to the next game uh uh audra or tom uh do you have something you um that's uh a a good discussion point for us in this part of the episode yeah i'm happy to go um i think uh 2022 was we saw a bit of a resurgence for like the tactics or strategy genre you know we had recently marvel's midnight suns like mario plus rabbits even uh tactics ogre reborn but I think the one that stood out the most to me was definitely a triangle strategy. I think it took a lot of it took a lot of inspiration from g- games like um, Fire Emblem and uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, but also did enough to sort of set itself apart. It had a, a really great story, really great characters. I f- really enjoyed like the uh, sort of the voting system. I think it made your choices feel like a, a lot more like there was a lot more weight behind them, and you also felt like your party members mattered a lot more and maybe you felt a bit uncomfortable because someone you felt was always on your side was suddenly against you. Um, I think in general as well, like all of the HD 2D games, it had some, it was obviously absolutely stunning, but it also had uh, really great music and um, yeah, it just completely hooked me apart from, I will, I think everyone sort of, uh, those first four chapters were a bit slow. There was a lot of, a lot of words. (laughs) Yeah. But um, once you got through that, I was completely hooked, and I sunk fifty hours into it, no problem. Okay, now now Tom, I, I know that you did not play RPGs for twenty years, uh, like the the way the way I did, because I, I because I know you're considerably younger than me. But the way you said, like Fire Emblem or Final Fantasy Tactics, but uh, characters can betray you left and right, and choices have real meaning. You sir need to play some Tactics Ogre because that's. Because Triangle Strategy really plays to me like Tomoya Asano's Tactics Ogre uh, homage. It's um, it, it, especially the weight of certain decision points and character turns is is extremely potent in that game. And uh, Zach, you and I did some retro encounter episodes mm-hmm. on the PSP version of Tactics Ogre a couple of years ago. We did. And um and I I um I, I maybe it's because I have a much longer history with it. I, I I think I overall prefer Final Fantasy Tactics to Tactics Ogre, which are you know two games that have a, a very clear uh, through line and and design philosophy progression. But uh but Tactics Ogre is excellent, and Triangle Strategy again was the Asano team. Uh, again, Tomiya Asano is the creator of Octopath Traveler and Final Fantasy IV: Heroes of Light and Bravely Default. And he uh, developed Bravely Default and uh, Octopath Traveler with, with separate development studios, but as the Square Enix side produ- lead producer on both of those games. Uh, uh, Asano, the Asano team making a strong character-driven strategy RPG really did result in something special because Triangle Strategy looks amazing. Um, um, my girlfriend played through all of it, and she talked to me a lot about it. And uh, so that is, so it's definitely on my list. 
but it, uh, re- regrettably this is the third game in a row we've talked about that i have not played for the podcast <laughs> because i was just drowning in backlog for so much of 2022 <laughs> but um audra zach or jano like have any of you guys uh, dipped into triangle strategy i have played it i've gotten to one ending and then i was on my way to another uh when um xenoblade happened um, and so and I haven't gotten back to it, but uh, I think Tom really hits the nail on the head um, and I actually prefer it. Um, I think I was probably the most cool on Tactics Ogre of anybody on that podcast. Um, and I think that Triangle Strategy does actually a better job of dealing with consequences of decisions you make, because I feel like sometimes in Tactics Ogre, like you would make decisions that would like take you down this like very particular path. But like the decision was always so minute um, and I don't feel like at the moment of making the decision that you had that you understood necessarily the weight behind it. And sometimes I feel like tactics ogre struggled to show the consequences of war. I think triangle strategy does an amazing job of showing the consequences of war. Um, And if you want to lower those consequences, they put you in some very difficult situations as well. There's one particular fight where you um, really should use like these traps that are set around your town, but basically burn the town down. Um, but if you do it without them, then you get, um, you know, you're on a better path and like you don't burn your town down, which, you know, sounds nice. So I think it does a great job with that. I think that the way the characters are written and the way the characters are part of the decision making process um, is really strong. And it's also just better balanced than Tactics Ogre because some of those like save the character missions in Tactics Ogre sometimes like infuriated me because I'm like, oh, they were this awful. Is impossible. Yes. Uh, otherwise, the game, I think, is easy, except for that. Um, so I, I think tactics. Or I think uh, Triangle Strategy is um, a triumph in and of itself. It's an excellent game. It's the first tactics RPG I have played that I really, truly enjoyed in 25 years or 2024, 20, uh, whatever tactics came out, Final Fantasy Tactics. And so I thought it was amazing. The replay value is great. The way they allow you to have to have different battle strategies on replay because like the, there's like level... Um, changes is great it's a phenomenal um, tactics rpg and i think everybody should check it out yeah i mean i i really enjoyed tactics ogre probably uh, more than you did zach when we played it a couple years ago my my major criticisms of it were that uh, too many battles were just walking up a death staircase into into enemy lines and um and and also how your ai companions that you're trying to protect often had just the worst death wish yeah i I would sometimes i would sometimes like 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 paralyze or seal movement of my own characters so they wouldn't run headlong into enemies and die. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried that. <laughs> uh, on, a, on at least one mission, I had that's what I had to do to win. I, I remember specifically, but uh, Triangle Strategy I think is definitely inspired by Tactics Ogre, but has learned the lessons of Tactics Ogre and is trying to make a, uh, a, a but but in a modern game with uh, with modern trappings and ideas. But it, like it, it's it's a really good one. We we have two reviews of it on the site from uh, Nikki and Bob, and they gave it a ninety two and an eighty five, which is I think is a ringing endorsement. At least it sounds like one. It's definitely on my backlog. It's less so on my backlog. I like strategy RPGs, but they are not my favorite kind of RPGs. I think it looks really really good. I have had one slightly unpopular opinion about everything I've seen from it. I'm curious if uh, Tom you have any thoughts about this um hd2d i think works incredibly well for uh i guess 8-bit and and 16-bit style uh titles where it's like you know it's a 2d plane they look like 2d games but there's depth of field whereas when i looked at the graphic style 
when applied to triangle strategy, it impressed me considerably less because games like Final Fantasy Tactics and Tactics Over, they already took place in a 3D space. So it looked like a slightly more polished version of a PlayStation game rather than a uh, mind-blowing glow-up of a 16-bit game. I don't know. What what do you think about that in terms of do the graph does HD two D work as well for this title as it does for well say Octopath or uh, Live Alive that kind of thing? I mean personally, I think it did. I think there were some really really impressive environments. I particularly like there's this uh there's this one battle where you're in like a mine. And I think that one in particular really stands out, and there's some yeah, pretty great. cool um castle scenes. But at the same time, I almost think sometimes there was almost too much on screen, and it did sometimes like become a little bit overwhelming but apart from that i do think it was it was generally pretty good i think um the only there was a like a blur effect that was put on the game almost which oh. you can turn off and i would recommend you you turn that one off but apart from that i do think it's definitely it definitely did the same sort of thing as octopath did hmm. okay yeah i feel like the bloom works a little better in octopath um whereas here i feel like sometimes i'm like i need to see that can you can you make that clear for me um so yeah i don't think it looks as good as octopath but i or live alive definitely but i i think it still worked um i mean like tactics ogre originally came out in the super nintendo right so like it wasn't it wasn't exclusively a 3d thing and so i think it definitely looks more impressive than say uh, a tactics ogre or, or final fantasy tactics but um no i i, I definitely prefer the look of octopath hmm. Yeah, well, I'm surprised that uh, Jono's outed himself as a RPG fan's graphics snob of 2022. Because if the game's not as good as good looking as Horizon Forbidden West, I mean, just don't even push it his way at all. Obviously. Hey, look, I'm a graphics snog when it comes snog. I'm a graphics snog. I'm a graphics snob when it comes to uh, 16-bit style RPGs um, and 8-bit RPGs, pixel art essentially, and HD 2D is an extension of pixel art. Um, and pixel art, although there was some really, really nice sprite work on the PlayStation, uh, I would argue that it it, it peaked with uh, the Super Nintendo and Genesis era. And May I point you towards Suikoden 2? Yeah, Suikoden 2 <laughs> and Breath of Fire 4 would love to have a word. Okay, Suik- yeah, but the thing about Suikoden and Suikoden 2 is I can almost picture those games on the Super Nintendo. Like, they did not make good use of the, uh, of the PlayStation hardware. Everyone back then was really trying to push 3D because that was the hot new thing. Um... And because of that, pixel art kind of got lost in the shuffle. And that's not saying games like Final Fantasy Tactics don't look stunning or don't have really, really nice pixel art. I'm just saying that the 3D effect with pixel art doesn't look as good to my eye as it does on a 2D plane with depth. But that's just my opinion. Okay, so I I guess that uh, closes the door on Triangle Strategy. Uh, Audrey, what's uh, the first game you want to bring up for the podcast episode today? Actually, I was thinking of going kind of nostalgic and talking about Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster. Sure, that that counts. Uh, it, it was an early release this year. I, I think the first five Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters dropped on for PC in the second half of 2021, but uh, Final Fantasy VI had a bit of a delay and was, uh, I think, February of this year. Is that right? And it so- was an awesome game and experience as a result. <laughs> Was this your first time playing Final Fantasy VI? Yes, it was. I had been meaning to. I have a lot of friends who are like, oh, you'll love Final Fantasy VI. It'll be one of your favorites. And I just had never had time to. So 
I finally got around to doing that, and yay. Good. I, I mean... It's just a great game. Yeah, I, I consider Final Fantasy VI an unassailable classic, uh, in my very, very biased opinion. It was it was not the first RPG I played, but it was probably one of the first five RPGs that I played. Um, and it's uh, I mean, it's a hugely popular game. A lot, it's a lot of people's favorite Final Fantasy. Uh, and yeah, I, I think of that as a as a an absolute crucial RPG. So I'm glad that we finally have one more person that that has played it for the first time. Uh, yes. And I know some, there are some issues with the pixel remasters, like the font and everything, but I, I mean, I would think if you haven't played it, the pixel remaster is probably one of the best versions to try. And now the, those pixel remasters will be getting even more accessible pretty soon because uh, they're no longer going to be um, confined to the PC. Uh, I believe they're getting, xbox playstation and switch releases in 2023 at a yet undetermined date but they uh or do, do we have a release date on uh, those no xbox but no it's sometime in the first quarter of uh mm. 2023 I, I think it's june june okay no wait i think i got i think spring sorry spring is what they said spring okay. see i i thought that we had a window but I, I i i didn't remember a specific date and xbox isn't getting it that's weird it's not. It was uh, an issue for some people. So yeah. Oh, you know what? You I might bet... you might want to fact check me on that, but I'm pretty sure that I'm. Yeah, no, no. You know, you know what I bet it is. I think the Pixel remasters were Steam exclusive. So mm-hmm. um, oh. if if they were if they were going to get an Xbox release, they probably would have wanted Windows and Xbox together. So so they could have possibly been on like a future mm-hmm. Game Pass release. I'm, I'm glad they are uh, they are fixing what I think was 2021's most baffling decision in video games of not releasing these things on the Switch. They would be perfect on the Switch. It made no sense. Yeah, I I, I would have preferred them on PlayStation or Switch over uh, uh, over Steam because I mean I, I don't own a Steam Deck and and I usually like playing. Uh, you know, Japanese RPGs on a console just a, as a personal preference. So I I held off on getting any of them because I was pretty sure they would get a console release eventually. And, and I'm glad that my, uh, that my prediction turned out to be correct, uh, mostly because I want, I want to play those. And I'm going to be you know, checking my game's budget and possibly getting all six on the Switch or, play, or PS5 um, sometime next year. I, Unfortunately, I, you can wait for FF2 until it's on sale. <laughs> <laughs> I, I blew my game's budget on the collector's edition because there was no choice. I saw yeah. it. And I was like, oh my I must God. have this. That, that collector's <laughs> edition is is costs about as much as a Switch does, right? Yeah. Yep. I don't even know if I'll open it, but it'll look beautiful on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> if I if only I had a record player, I would have thought a little harder about that. But I, I just yeah. I just want to have those on a console that I uh, that yeah. I can have in my living room and not confined to my to my desktop because I don't I don't I don't even really have a uh, a, a good gaming laptop. I I play all my PC stuff on desktop, but. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled that uh, we're getting those remasters and those damn good remastered soundtracks on more than just Steam. Oof, uh, they're so good, they're really really great. Now, now, Tom, you've been a little quiet. Uh, have Have you played Final Fantasy VI? Uh, I haven't, but um, I do have a Steam Deck now, and uh, that was definitely one of the games I was I was pretty excited to pick up on there. So I I definitely plan to play it. Um, hopefully next year. But I mean, I guess my excitement for the Switch release was a little dampened by the fact that I already had a way to play it portably <laughs> yeah. but um mm. I'm, I'm still definitely definitely looking forward to playing it and it, hopefully it next year 100 worth it it's it's a all-timer. really good game i mean i've the, never met anyone timeless, who doesn't like kind it of. yeah yeah it's it's i mean people say it's the greatest 
Super Nintendo RPG of all time versus maybe Chrono Trigger. Um, Audra would be a good person to ask about that because Audra has two banger reviews of Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger on the site. I really like them both. I think I might lean towards Final Fantasy VI slightly more, but I'm very biased towards Final Fantasy. I don't think this is like a Coke versus Pepsi decision because they're both so damn good that... (laughs) We're all winners with them. Yeah, someone who loves Chrono Trigger or who loves Final Fantasy VI, I don't think they're ever going to argue that the other game is not brilliant. No, they're all they're both amazing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we don't need to relitigate arguments from almost thirty years ago. But but I I, I consider Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI two just absolutely crucial RPGs of that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know I, I would probably throw a couple of Square Enix's output um or Square's output from that same time uh, into the mix, like uh. Oh, uh, like Super Mario RPG or Seiken Densetsu 3 or even Final Fantasy V. Or, you know what? There is another game from that era that had a remake in 2022. And I think I am going to nudge that one into the fold right now. Because uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's my, oh, yeah. my turn to discuss the game, isn't it? Yes. And, yes. Uh, and one 2022 game that I played that's also a somewhat of a retro release is Live Alive. Uh, Live Alive was a 1994 Square game. It was... Um, uh, the first soundtrack that Yoko Shimomura worked on for Square, she was an employee of, of Capcom for the previous couple of years before that, where she did the music for uh, most of the music for Street Fighter 2 and the first Breath of Fire, for um, um, among others. But um, Live Alive was her first full soundtrack. And th- so it was a game that I was aware of for many, many years. Like I, uh, I, I saw it appear on lists of like the best uh, confined to Japan RPGs and Square RPGs that we never got, like uh, probably alongside games like Seiken Nintetsu 3 and Treasure of the Rudras and even Final Fantasy V before we got the PlayStation version in the late 90s. So it was a game I had known about for a long time. I did attempt to play it uh, something like 20 years ago, but didn't get very far. But this version has just these beautiful remastered uh, visuals and audio, uh, a, a full slate of voice acting, um, uh, a few modern conveniences like the, the the hint and clue system makes a little bit more sense and the menus are, are uh, much better. Uh, just a lot of small things like that, but preserving most of the gameplay or if not all of the gameplay and just in a package that is that, that just plays so smoothly and looks so stunning uh that like like i really felt like i was playing a game at the level of a final fantasy 6 or a chrono trigger that uh from a super nintendo square game of that era but made just made very very easy to get into and tom you and i along with our mutual friend wes iliff did two episodes on live alive um a little bit earlier this year for retro encounter and it was a delight talking about it with you too so this is I mean, I mean, so uh, listeners and panelists, if you haven't played this, like this is a missing classic from that era that I really felt held up very well. So, uh, yeah, um, it's 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 a it's a great one. Yeah, I think um, it's it's a remake done right. You know, I think um, I'd never heard, unlike you, I'd I'd never heard of the game before it was revealed at the direct, but um, instantly there was a lot of buzz around it, and I'm I'm really glad I picked it up. I don't feel that it's I don't feel that it's aged badly at all. I think, in, I mean, I'm sure they've given it some quality of life improvements, but generally it played really well. I had a, not just a great time playing the game, but yeah, the, recording the podcast about it was, was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I haven't played it personally, um, but I watched my fiance play through basically all of it. And, um, you know, I, I'm struck, first of all, by the fact that I think it is the best looking HD 2D game. Like, I think that 
it kind of puts Octopath to shame. The way it uses color, um, I think it's fantastic. And, and I thought some of the scenarios were just amazing. Like the, the ninja one, like the, the level of um, choice you had with that, I think was really interesting in terms of how you approached it and like how every scenario had this different way of approaching it. And I, I thought the ending, you know, was, was solid as well. And then, you know, it, and it also like of all the games that I've ever seen played reminded me so much of Octopath Traveler, like what, oh, yeah. like what Octopath Traveler is trying to be. And so I, I really enjoyed uh, you know, watching it. Um, and I thought the combat was cool. I, I think it's, um, you know, if I hadn't watched someone play the whole game, I wouldn't play it this year myself. And I think it's really fantastic. I played Octopath Traveler a couple years ago, and when I was playing it, I thought that Octopath Traveler was the Asano team doing their version of a saga game. But then after playing Live Alive, I'm like, oh, no, there's a lot of Live Alive DNA in in Octopath as well. So this is and and, and uh, Live Alive is a beloved game by a lot of uh, designers. I think it was one of um, Asano's inspirations when he started getting his own projects in the in the uh, late 2000s, early 2010s. And a, a very, very popular Japanese voice actor, I, I mentioned this on the uh, podcast as well, uh, Tomokazu Sugita, is a, he's sort of a leading man, uh, award-winning voice actor, but Live Alive is his favorite game, so he asked to be part of the project, and they gave him a minor background character role in, in, in all eight episodes, or all seven oh, episodes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, as the apparent resident graphics snob, uh, it makes complete sense to me, Zach, that you think this game looks uh, better than uh, Octopath, because... It was built on a really remarkably robust foundation uh, from the original version, uh, which still looks fantastic to this day. Beautiful, beautiful uh, character designs, world designs. The original game is, I think it's, I think it's a really, really great Super Nintendo game, and they just took that and they elevated it to a some just an incredible level uh, with the new graphics. I think it's. I haven't played this yet. I have because I've. I, I played I played and beat the 16-bit version many, many, many years ago, which I really, really enjoyed. I'll get around to it eventually. But I think it, it looks like a stunner. And I mean, it sounds like it's also been a pretty big success for uh, Square, or Square Enix. So I would, I'll make a prediction right now um, that I probably will be wrong about, but I, I bet that this game and some of the other games have been doing so well that they will release a, uh, they will release uh, Bahamut Lagoon or Treasure of the Rudras in 2023 in the same uh, graphic style. I would be very unsurprised if the success of this game did not lead them to doing the same thing with their other lost SNES classics. It, I mean, I think it would at least merit them re-examining that catalog and finding the best candidates for such a remake. Because I mean, I mean, I, I mentioned Seiken Ninzetsu Three that got a huge mm-hmm. remake in uh, in in 2020 that I played three times in a row for the platinum trophy because because of course i did but uh <laughs> but uh I'm, I'm not i don't know if i'm that confident in making a similar prediction but i'm sure it's something that they're talking about behind closed doors it makes sense i mean bahamut lagoon the graphic style already almost looks like it's an hd 2d like it's a very lush beautiful looking game uh with pixel art and everything it would translate unbelievably well to this graphic style. So I would say that would be the next one to come out if I was them. But they have a gold mine here. They like the line, the lost classic, the game that the West has never played, but released in a format that's much more palatable to today's uh, gamers. It's a gold mine. It's it's a really, really smart. Uh, it's a really, really smart thing to do because you already have the game finished. You just need to give it a facelift. I mean, and perhaps obviously, I mean, uh, they're making more and more of these HD 2D games. So I think it has to mm-hmm. be 
at, at least a moderate success for them. Uh, and they, they've been, this is, they aren't HD 2D, but they've been re-releasing just about every um, 16 and 32-bit Saga game over the last couple of years. And boy, can you imagine how thrilled I am about that. Yeah, so, so, so mining their old catalog uh, makes sense. Um, uh, I mean, we, we know we're getting uh, the Dragon Quest three uh, HD 2D remake um, soon-ish, although that's hardly a lost classic. That one's uh, that's a, a game that's older and has had and had a much wider release than uh, than Live Alive did. But yeah, I, I would not be surprised to see more games get the, this Live Alive treatment uh, going into the future. I would I, I'm not going to make a prediction and, uh, and 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 pick out a specific one, but I, I would not be surprised at all. I mean, talking yeah. of games that aren't lost classics that definitely I think we'd all love to see, I still can't believe we haven't seen anything of Chrono Trigger and this sort of stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Chrono Trigger was announced for this year or next year in this style. It's such a no-brainer. Yeah. On the I other was... hand, maybe maybe they'll just decide to do a pixel remaster of it because the pixel remasters have been so successful. I was about them. to say, I almost wonder if they hadn't thought of that. Well, at least Chrono Trigger is accessible. Like there, um, it's it's come there's out a lot of versions of it. Yeah, it's, yeah. There's been five or six versions of it over the last twenty years, but uh, but while Live Alive was pretty much confined to the uh, to the Super Famicom and and never had an official translation, so it's I, I think that would be a different kind of project. But I mean, a Pixel re- Remaster or HD 2D Chrono Trigger is not necessarily a no brainer. But again, I, I'm sure there's discussions about it. But uh, we have at least five more discussions to have take place mm-hmm. in this episode. Uh, uh, we're about at the halfway mark, but who wants to um, show off a second game for Retro Encounter 2022 show and tell? I'll take it. Um, so I guess my next game on the list uh, would be Return to Monkey Island. Uh, so this is something that Solosi is, well, not this specific game, but Monkey Island is something Solosi is very familiar with because we had a podcast on it earlier this year on it during adventure game month of uh, retro, um, and return to Monkey Island. It's not just a return to Monkey Island in the sense that it's a sequel, but it's also a return of the original creators, uh, Ron Gilbert and Dave Grossman. They did Monkey Island, Secret Monkey Island, and they did Monkey Island 2 with Chuck's Revenge. Uh, and then they left, uh, LucasArts and, uh, LucasArts did Curse of Monkey Island, which was a great game. I love Curse of Monkey Island. But Monkey Island 2 ended on a pretty remarkable cliffhanger, an infamous cliffhanger, uh, that they didn't get to resolve. And the way it was resolved in Curse of Monkey Island was not how they would have done it. So for years and years and years, Ron Gilbert has said, I would love to go back and do our version of Monkey Island 3. Uh, and instead of doing that, they went in return to Monkey Island, they actually they address the cliffhanger and resolve it in their own way but they also incorporate uh curse of monkey island tales of monkey island and all five tales of monkey island games um and they incorporate it into like a tapestry of monkey island they everything is there um everything is quote-unquote in continuity and with this they delivered a brand new graphic style that looks like a i guess like some people say it looks like a pop-up picture book i think it kind of looks like a scrapbook um voice actors have all returned uh it's it's a really solid adventure game and not just that they also they don't use the old style uh verb system they have a they have a new much more streamlined point and click adventure game system um and yeah i think it ties a perfect bow on the top of the monkey island series i would not be surprised if they do another sequel in the future because it's kind of like you know it's a seminal series but the way this game ends is i think 
exactly how they would want to end it. I don't I don't think there needs to be another Monkey Island game after this. And in fact, if there is another Monkey Island game, I think I might be a little bit disappointed um, because I was I was very, very happy with the way they ended this. Um, it addresses a lot of things that I guess folks my age have been looking at, like, you know, getting older and and looking back on the things that you've yet to accomplish. Um, so, yeah, it, it addresses a lot of things. And it's also very, very funny. It's it's hilarious, brilliant dialogue, uh, great performances. I was a big fan of this game. I'm really, really excited that it got released this year. And I think that if you've ever played Monkey Island two or one and two and three, I guess this is this is worth worth a play. I don't think you need to play uh, Escape or Tales to enjoy this. And um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember reading uh, reviews and news articles about this game. They, they didn't completely abandon the uh the the non-gilbert sequels like like they brought in something like a, a character or a, a concept from the sequels they didn't work on it, uh, i think it was like a talking skull or something yeah murray uh actually murray's there with his voice actor murray's one of the best things about the post uh gilbert grossman monkey island games but no they they everything's canon um what at the very beginning of this game actually you have the option to guybook essentially guybook Guybrush essentially will walk you through his scrapbook and tell you about all of the adventures of all of the games, and they're all there. So everything that happened in those games happened to Guybrush, and this happens at some point in the future uh, after those games happened. So everything happened. Everything is canon. Um, and they do it in a very clever, clever way that I think respects the developers and the fans of those games that was that was one of the criticisms they said well if you do monkey island 3 you're going to be erasing all these games from the official timeline and there these games some of them are great and they have their own fans and that can be a little disrespectful but no they they honored the canon they honored uh the games that came after them in a very touching smart way i think yeah i I mean i think fans care much more about canon and retconning uh than most of the time more than the creators do uh because they but I, there was a concern when Gilbert said this was going to be a direct sequel to Monkey Island 2 that uh, they were going to retcon the future games, but that was not the case. And, and I, I, I heard this. I remember reading about the specific example of Murray. But uh, so it sounds like this is both Gilbert and Grossman telling the story they want to tell while respecting the um, all of the Monkey Island games of the past. And if the ending is, is I, I don't know what the ending is, but if the ending is as definitive and satisfying as as you're saying, Jono, that maybe this is them trying to put Monkey Island to rest finally, but in but but also in a way that is that 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 should be um, satisfying for for everyone involved. Um, and and you talked about the graphic style being like a scrapbook. I thought it looked sort of interesting, but there was a that was a minor controversy when it came out. Some some people really did not like that graphic style, but while some while there were it had its defenders as well. But yeah, but you're on the side of good, right? I'm on the side of very good. I think the game looks gorgeous. Um, it just doesn't look like what people expected based on the past games. But the reality is that the difference between Monkey Island uh, 1 and 2 going to 3 is, like, obviously there was a very, very different graphic style where all of a sudden it looked like a DreamWorks or a Disney animated movie, and then they moved it into 3D with uh, a Grim Fandango-esque system, which tried to incorporate that but couldn't because there were graphic limitations. Um, then no, no, Tales they, of Monkey they, Island they didn't tried give to... It, they didn't give it tank controls, did they? Oh, it has tank controls, yeah. Oh, brother. 
Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's not the it's not the best controlling. Escape from Monkey Island is the the black sheep of the family. I think it's still a good game. It's still funny, but it's not as good because it's kind of a pain in the butt to control. Um, but yeah, they they just went a different direction with the graphics, and I think they were smart to do so. I think that it really suits the game. It suits the the style of the game, and um, I'm I'm very I'm a big fan of this. I really really enjoyed it. And as for the ending, you said it, I. I'm going to retcon myself slightly. I don't know if satisfying would be the word because I don't think Ron Gilbert is interested in providing people with a satisfying ending. It's, it's final, but it's still, there are a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of uh, ambiguity for the audience that the audience can then make up their minds about what's happening, um, which he sort of did with Monkey Island, the end of Monkey Island too. So it's very much, it's very much in his style. Um, if you've ever played Thimbleweed Park, it, it, that that game ends on a similar a similar note of uh, of uh, making the audience question what just happened. So interesting ending, one that I really liked, but some people found it not super satisfying. It, it comes down to personal choice. I, I don't know what the ending is, and, I, and maybe I used the word satisfying uh, uh, out of ignorance, but there, there's an air of finality to it at least. I think so, yeah. Now, um, and John, you alluded to this, but I, I played Secret of Monkey Island to completion for the first time a couple of months ago, uh, and we did have a podcast episode to go along with that, which you and I were both on. And mm-hmm. I, I thought that the that original Monkey Island, you know, it showed its age a little bit, but it was definitely witty and creative, and uh, and and fun. Um, I I used a guide for the uh, the uh, the Monkey Island section actually in this in the second half of the game <laughs> because it was there would have been a lot of walking back and forth confu- uh, out of confusion if I hadn't. But uh, do you think this game is does it have that ultra specific uh, puzzle solving that was maybe taken to an extreme in those early adventure games? Um, there is a little bit of adventure game logic here, not as much. I think because of the streamlined system, um, it there's no verbs, for example, in this. Uh, and because of that, puzzle solutions are a little bit more, uh, not logical. Logical isn't the word. Intuitive, maybe? Uh, I didn't need a... You, you don't you don't need to you know rub a piano playing monkey against a against a pump or a a compass against a wall with a key on it nothing like that I hate that damn puzzle um no uh, I I didn't find myself stumped I did find myself wandering around the various islands looking for solutions uh, because it's a puzzle game that's the that, you know so that's the point but there were none in the game that genuinely made me feel like I was angry at the solution if that makes sense <laughs> all right well uh, uh tom zacker audra do we have any other uh, monkey island players in the house because I, I i should mention um <laughs> after i finished secret of monkey island i did see the the rest of the series not including return to monkey island on a steam sale and uh, and 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 got those uh but uh, what about the three of you i had a friend in high school who was really into it and that is the limit of my experience <laughs> with monkey island <laughs> i have heard of it I have not played them yet. They're on my backlog. It's it's definitely a series I'm interested, in, but but yeah, like like the other two, I haven't played it myself. Oh man, talking about games we we haven't played but are, are interested in. This sounds like an episode of Random Encounter. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and uh, Tom, by the way, check your email. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Thank uh, you. you're welcome. Um, I, I I may have just gotten tom a copy of final fantasy 6 pixel remaster oh it was on sale don't don't, don't be that don't be impressed no. oh, yeah, thank you very those... much though i do really appreciate it 
for those who are listening right now, the Steam sale started two hours ago, so <laughs> it's like looking at the backlogs now. We're like, oh no, my Steam <laughs> wish list just sent me an email with like 1,200 games in it. I usually keep my uh, Steam wish list to a tight 30 to 35. That's it gets, impressive. Um, uh, because, and, and you know, I, I curate it a little bit because otherwise I'll just get, my eyes will get way too bigger than my head. Um, I think... I think the email said I had 32 of them on sale. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which was, you know, concerning for my uh, for my spending habits. But uh, we, we don't need to talk about our spending habits anymore on this episode. Uh, who else has a game they want to bring to the table? Yeah, I'm happy to go next. I think um, for me, a game that really stood out this year was a smaller indie game, but it definitely uh, had some fanfare. And that, and that was uh, that was Tunic. It's a... Uh, Maybe the term's a little bit overused, but it's a, a, a Souls-like with a cross with Zelda. It has I'd say it's very like linked to the past style gameplay, but it sort of has almost almost Wind Waker art style, but but not quite. Um, but yeah, I had a I had a really great time with it. Um, I think it, it had some flaws. I think um, I didn't think its its combat was quite for its difficulty. I felt it was too difficult to control. I think there's a difference between a game having being fair and sometimes just being a little bit too complicated. But um, all in all, I felt like the actual exploration elements was I had such a, a great time just getting lost in the world. And there, there were so many secrets. I thought the world design was excellent. You know, I mean, who doesn't love a little cute fox character to play as? But in general, it was just a, a really fantastic time. Now, here's one I have played, and I, I got a little bit stuck partway through Tunic because sometimes the puzzles are a little opaque, and I, and oh, I, really, yeah. wanted, I really wanted to try to solve them myself, so I didn't check any guides for it. But uh, I, I think um, something remarkable about Tunic that, uh, Tom, you alluded to but maybe didn't say specifically is that this is a, this is a silent movie of a game. There's, there, there's no dialogue and um, and and when you even find things that are uh, li- like signs or, or or clues in the world, they're usually like pictographs or something that you have to decipher rather than straight up dialogue. And um, maybe the most amusing uh, 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 use of of, of 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 clue planting this game has is you find um, pages of the game's manual throughout the throughout the game, but not in order. So you might not even learn <laughs> the function of a specific button. Or how to, or uh, or how to unlock a certain kind of door until you find the manual page that teaches you how to do that. And uh, and you, if you look up something online or know know have this knowledge ahead of time, you probably can do a lot of things contained in the manual before you find the appropriate page. So it has like this weird nostalgia of um, being a game that plays a little bit like The Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening, but with uh, the sensibilities of a Souls-like game by being very difficult and, and all the storytelling in the background. And, uh, and, and um, if, when you die, you lose resources. But if you find the, your spirit or your corpse, you can gain those resources back, which is the, one of the hallmarks of, of Souls. Um, but, but it's also not super loot heavy. Like your, your toolkit is not a million different items. It's a, it's a, it's a, a much smaller, tighter number. But uh, it, like even doing something like finding a sword or finding a bomb feels uh, meaningful in this game because of how of of how, of how like uh, sparse this world is and how um, every advantage you get is good. Like this is a game that is a little challenging, but the action 
never feels unfair and the puzzle solving feels really weird and special because of how you find clues and assemble this manual it, it's it's like you can compare it to um a zelda game or a souls like game or uh even just a similar isometric action game like maybe um oh what was that game with a little like where you control a little crow from last year death's door death's door like it, it might feel a little bit like a like death's door a game that has a similar presentation but this is it's pretty unique i don't know if i've ever played a game quite like this before it reminded me of of like playing a link to the past crossed with fez i think yeah like like how you say it, it's definitely unique i think most games not well they gatekeep progression through certain items or abilities whereas what i think what makes tunic so special is technically apart from a few things you could do if you knew what you're doing everything from the beginning but it's finding those manual pages that that tell you how to do something and suddenly a whole new chunk of the map opens up and, and also i don't know if i mentioned this clearly the manual pages don't have a lot of written text on them it'll show you like like pictographs of what the little fox guy is doing with button presses near him it's uh it, it, it's all very clever and if you have nostalgia for reading through a game manual or a 90s uh, gaming magazine you'll 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 have a you know a shot of dopamine from collecting these manual pages. Very nice. So, uh, uh, Zach, Jono, or Audra, have, have either any of us played Tunic or are at least more interested in it now? It's number four on my Steam wish list. <laughs> I am more interested, although Souls-like scares me. <laughs> but... You know, I was afraid of Souls-likes, but then I really, really enjoyed Salt and Sanctuary and Demon's Souls earlier this year, getting uh, those off the backlog. Or it was it was uh, I, I ended up buying uh, Sultan Sanctuary, but uh, Demon Souls was on, on the backlog, and now it's like, oh, you know, you don't need to be afraid of them because dying is okay. Yes. Like if if just, I I wish I had I had gotten over my apprehension about them earlier because now now I have like eight Souls likes I really want to get to in twenty twenty three that I definitely won't get to most of them. And also, I mean, while Tunic is a Souls like, I've never played a Souls like game, and like you, Audra, I'm. I'm probably too scared to, but I think although Tunic's difficult, I don't think it's quite as difficult as a Souls-like game from from what I can understand. I think that's a problem with the term Souls-like is it's kind of become synonymous with any game that's hard, and that's just not what it is. I mean, yeah. I think there are also like commonalities, like you have to go get your resources back from your dead body and things like that. So, like, I, I, yeah. I mean, like I'm terrible at Souls games. Like, I have Elden, Elden Ring. I really tried to play it. I sucked at it, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there are. It's, I think it's at least if it's being used correctly, a little bit beyond just souls uh, difficulty. But like Sultan Sanctuary did scare me off souls like for a little while, but I don't think that's going to be the case forever. Like there are, I certainly Dark Souls is a series that I would like to get a, give a shot. Elden Ring certainly, I would love to give a shot. I and actually well. liked um, Death's Gambit when I played. Yeah, it. Ex exactly. Like these are hard games, but they're not. There I just a don't lot want of... to fight a battle for 400 times again. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot about Sultan Sanctuary that I passionately hated, and the difficulty was not really one of the reasons. So I think that, I think this is a game, Tunic is a game that I would really, really like to get into and play, because I'm a giant fan of Zelda, and I'm a giant fan of, like, well, like you said, the nostalgia of reading a manual. So I think this will hit a lot of my buttons. I think Tunic does more unique things than Salt and Sanctuary did. I, I liked Salt and Sanctuary more than you did, Jono, but I, I think Tunic That's not has, difficult, Solosi. Yeah, I, I, I know. <laughs> I, but, uh, but Tunic is 
I, I mean, it's a different kind of challenge than Sultan Sanctuary is, but I think it's a it, it's a game that plays a little more fair and does a little a few more unique things that I think uh, have it stand out. Uh, Tunic's very very good, even though I did not finish it. I I do recommend it if any of this sounds intriguing to you because it's a it, it it's a it's a game that's sort of like cute and bright but also sort of oppressive at the same time and has a lot of mystery hiding behind it because of the nature of clues and puzzle solving in it. It's mm. it, it's very very interesting and worth trying. And also if the, if the uh, if the difficulty does worry you, there are uh, accessibility options. I think there's a you can literally have a an invincibility mode or you can turn uh, your stamina off so there's definitely options to make the game more more accessible yeah oh, that's another uh souls like highlight um your your attacks and dodge movements sharing a stamina meter <laughs> well that's but it, it, defining what a souls like is can be a little complicated but the, the things that we've said in um over discussing uh tunic and i guess elden ring in this in this episode w- would be bullet points on that list but uh, uh, Audra or Zach, do we have another game we want to um, we want to bring up? That's I don't know, may or may not be another Souls like. Well, I actually started. I'd like to talk about one that I I'm just starting to play. Well, I have been playing it throughout this month, but Marvel's Midnight Suns actually surprised me. Right. This is a. Um, uh, a game, you know, from uh, with, with characters and settings from Marvel Comics, but made by, by some of the same people that worked on the uh, the XCOM, XCOM games, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's actually a really good. I have never really played a card game, card based strategy RPG before, but I kind of love it. It's turn based, but then you have like recycling options that you can do and. You can customize the characters with new abilities as you go and upgrade them. And it's just, it's been really addicting playing it. And then you can also, you insert yourself into the game in a way with the main character and you can befriend Marvel characters. And it's just kind of fun because he doesn't want to befriend magic. <laughs> and that's um, a total um, ma- magic, magic with a J, uh, uh, Colossus's sister. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, I, I, I read X-Men comics 30 years ago. I, I know some of these things. Everyone wants to be friends uh, with magic. Magic does not want to be friends with everybody else. No. 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 And for some reason, Tony Stark always wants to be my friend, even though he's not a character I, I'm crazy about, but it's kind of amusing. And, 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 and remarkably ma- magic is only the, the second rudest, uh, one of her siblings. Yes. But Mikhail, she's great, actually. Mikhail's not in this game, is he? No. Okay, that's probably for the best. <laughs> this game seems like it's full of deep cuts. I don't think it's quite that deep. No, it's actually full of some... I mean, I don't know some of the characters at all very well, because they're from Marvel storylines that I haven't read as much. But, I mean, they're all really likable, and they're and fun ha- abilities. And, and hey, if you play some of those old Marvel RPGs from the early 2000s, like X-Men Legends or Multi- Marvel Ultimate Alliance, you will get some very weird Marvel deep cuts. Like, <laughs> like, 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 they're, like Sauron and um, Sugar Man are bosses in X-Men Legends 2. And if you and if you've if you've if you have any connection to Sugar Man as a comics fan in the 2020s, good on you, because that, that's how I found out. That's how I found out. That's how I found about that weirdo. What do Age of Apocalypse? <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of Age of Apocalypse stuff in XML too, um, <laughs> but the uh, 
I think Magic was in that one as well. But uh, but but Audra, um, you, you said there's a player controlled character or or a or a uh, a protagonist insert character. Do you get to sort of co- um, customize their move set and appearance? Yeah, you get to customize them. There, it's basically kind of like if you're playing a Bioware game almost when you're outside of combat. So you get to customize the character. You get to choose light and dark options. And I've been actually having a blast doing a lot of the dark options more because I think light is actually meaner, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> and you get new abilities based off of how you respond to certain characters. And it's it's kind of fun. You get to build up your own superhero. So do you choose from like a starting class or is it uh, do they give you just a lot of freedom, sort of a mishmash of abilities to throw to throw together? Sort of a mishmash of abilities thrown together at first and then you um, gain more depending on how you like your light or dark, like depending on if you use light abilities, you gain more light abilities later. Versus if you were doing a dark move all the time, you end up getting more dark points and. It's actually, I, I kind of found it better than like the Paragon Renegade system, at least as far as alignments go. Okay, now this is really interesting to me because again, I'm a I'm a superhero fan from that goes back decades, and one of my most uh, one of my biggest disappointments in the history of video games was the uh, the Dennis Dyack produced X Men Destiny for PS3, which is around ten years ago. Uh, it was you get it was a a Marvel RPG where you get to you know be your own design your own member of the x-men and uh and you could choose to be like a to have like psychic powers energy-based powers or physical-based powers and then customize your move set and i i it it sounded like my dream x-men rpg following the mua and x-men legends games but it ended up being a huge disappointment that game is not good but but uh midnight suns might scratch that itch a little bit if it has competent rpg mechanics and yes. some so some player-driven choice. Yes, it does. Actually, I, I was very satisfied with both. I kind of feel like it's probably the best out of the Marvel licensed games I've played recently. Interesting. Which, so I liked it more than even Ultimate Alliance 3 and definitely more than Marvel's Avengers. Sorry, Sorry Kamala. <laughs> with apologies to Kamala Khan, none of this is your fault, but your, your game wasn't that great. Yes. Uh, now most of my uh, Marvel video game itch scratching has been taken care of by uh, Spider-Man and the Miles Morales uh, uh, PS4 games. Oh. Um, th- th- those are excellent. Th- those feel like a Spider-Man version of the of like the Batman Arkham games, which is which is high mm-hmm. praise coming from me. I, I really yeah. really like Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. Speaking of things to be excited for in 2023. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're getting um we're getting uh, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, and uh, and Marvel Spider-Man Two. I think is what they're calling it, unless it, unless it gets a fancy subtitle in the next few months, uh, which are sort of continuations of those two threads, you know, the the, the Batman Arkham and the uh, and the uh, the Insomniac Spider Man, or I should say Rocksteady Batman and, and Insomniac Spider Man. So so like there's there are some cool superhero video games to be played in 2023, uh, but this is epi- this episode of Retro Encounters is about 2022, so I'm a little bit out of mm-hmm. hand here. Uh, but but um, uh, Audra, what systems are, is uh, Midnight Suns available for? Um, I believe it's PC, the PlayStation's four and five, Xbox. I I think Switch. Oh, so basically all of them. Okay. Did the Switch one get delayed? It might have. Maybe that's what it was. 
maybe it, maybe they, maybe they had trouble getting it to run on yeah. switch but which is not an uncommon problem but anyway that's very very intriguing combining multiple things that i like superhero rpgs tactical rpgs card playing rpgs bioware-esque dialogue trees uh, character customization they, they seem to be throwing a lot of ingredients into the pot but something something pretty tasty came out that's very very intriguing thank yes. you audra you're welcome so uh zach that leaves you and me left to discuss a game for part two do you have one you want to talk about I do. Um, so I am I'm not done with this game yet, but I've been playing Chained Echoes recently. And oh, my <laughs> um, Chained Echoes is fantastic. Um, so I, I feel like it's like everywhere on the Internet now, but it, it, it's um, a, a developed by one guy in Germany, I think. Um, and it is a turn based RPG that it has 16 bit graphics. Um, that is clearly made by somebody who played and loved all the games that I played and loved in the 16-bit and 32-bit era. You can see elements of Chrono Trigger in it. You can see elements of Xenogears in it. You can see elements of Final Fantasy Tactics or Suikoden um, in it. Um, but you know, a lot of times when you're playing a game that is obviously inspired by some of those, you know, great classics, it feels like a retread. Um, you know, not pointing any fingers at the Tokyo. Uh, RPG factory, whatever, but um, it's um, it, it it doesn't do that. Um, it 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 knows what it is, and it you can clearly see that this is a person who played those games, learned what worked best in them, and then took them and then applied it to his own vision. And so, uh, the turn the combat is is different from anything I've quite played in terms of like the idea that is that you have to use certain kinds of moves, try to keep yourself in what's called an overdrive gauge, which gives you you know more damage and uh, better agility and stuff like that. But if you use too many, then you overheat. And so, kind of trying to like play with what you're doing to keep it within that. Um, there's amazing exploration, like there's Xenoblade writ large all over this game too, in terms of exploring areas and like to give you great rewards for those areas um it, it, the writing is a little bit clunky sometimes you can tell it's written by somebody who's not um english is not quite their first language but it doesn't really matter uh because the story is fun it's got great pacing like i just feel like at home when i'm playing Chandecos. like this is this is the video game that i wish i knew how to make because <laughs> it's so good this is consistent with what with what I've heard from other places, including Caitlin, who's uh, currently reviewing this for RPG fans. She pro uh, the, that review will probably be out uh, by the time this episode is out. Yeah, it posts uh, uh -huh. on New or Christmas Day, so oh, okay. or Christmas so, yeah. Eve rather. So yeah, all right, it's a good so, Christmas so, present for the developer. Excellent. So yeah, uh -huh. um, so we will have an uh, as we record this, we do not have. Uh, uh, a review out for Chain Echoes, but we will at, by the time this posts. But um, that what you're saying, Zach, is consistent with what I've heard. This is an excellent game, clearly inspired by uh, by classic '90s JRPGs, but made with a specific vision in mind, and 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 not maybe not outwardly ripping off anything. It's just a good ass RPG that had that that um, wears its influences on its sleeve. But, but I mean, I, I again, I haven't heard a single bad. I've hardly heard a single bad thing about this game. It, uh, it, it, like I think I had it on my wish list when I when news was popping out for it. But then I'm more and more tempted to buy it, even with even without it being on a discount. As I hear more about it, yeah, I mean, like, and it does fun things like where it inverts the expectations you have. Like, um, the very first scene is like, "Get up, Glenn. Get up, Glenn." Um, so the Chrono Trigger, Dragon Quest three. But then, like, your mom ends up slapping you at the end. Um, like, it's 
um it, it's really funny too um it, it's just like i've played 15 hours in like no granted i'm, I'm a teacher so i'm off work but i played like 15 hours in like two days um that's how invested i am in this game like it's so fun it grabs you immediately it's so cool i'm so sold that sounds so good i want to yeah, play I'm it really really interested yeah. in this I'm also very interested in this, but the problem is I, oh boy, I have so many other games on the list, but uh, but I hope to get to this one sooner rather than later, just because I've heard so many good things. It's absolutely worth playing. Um, yeah, it, it's, it wouldn't quite surpass Xenoblade 3 for me in terms of game of the year, but it would definitely be second on my list, um, at least at this point about 15 hours in and I, I can't imagine it's going to get any worse thing is going to get more interesting so yeah it's great um you can you can compare this in terms of other games if, it, if it's helpful but uh, what's the combat like what does it what other games does this remind you of I can't really think and that and that's a good question um I can't think of a lot um, because like managing the overdrive gauge and maybe you guys have some ideas like it's all about like it's basically you're either like yellow, green, or like if you go too far, you're in the red. Um, and you want to keep it in the green the whole time. And so it is all about managing how you stay within that with all while also using like your most powerful moves. But if you do too much, eventually you'll go red and then like you get some debuffs and things like that. Um, but you also like after every fight, you get all your TP, which is like basically how you use your skills back and all your HP back. So like every fight, like you're throwing everything you have at it. Um, so like every even like the sort of semi random encounters, even though you can see the enemies on the field feel like a sincere challenge, um, which I, I can certainly think of games like that, you know, like SMT or whatever. But it's not it's not like SMT. I, I, I can't. I can't think of a great analog for it um, in terms of all the different things it pulls together. Like it, it's kind of what I was saying earlier. Like it, it pulls all these different ideas together in terms of the types of skills. Like one character has a skill called X slash, but um, it's a bleed ability, which is really powerful in this game, but it, it doesn't ever quite feel like anything else. It feels like they cherry picked like seven different things they liked um, but that really worked for them and then kind of blend them all together and then it became its own thing. Well, let's see, re like restoring your resources between every battle so you can use your coolest stuff every fight feels a little bit like a re like recent Z-Boyd games. Um, but but meter management is a key part of it. Uh, it feels a little bit like, I don't know, a Skies of Arcadia or a Lufia 2. But, uh, like, but overdrawing from your own resources and making yourself vulnerable and needing to recover if you go too ham is a little bit like Bravely Default, which are, yeah, I mean, I, right. I, I'm, I, I'm using my own gumbo definition to try and, and nail this down, but it's everything you say sounds fascinating. Yeah, uh, it's, it's again, like it's, it's not, it's like nothing you've ever played and it's like everything you've ever played. And that's what makes it amazing. <laughs> oh man, you're making it hard to be fiscally uh, responsible. <laughs> it's only 25 bucks, man. It's worth <laughs> it. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> Like Alana, who's you know here right now, and she like she's playing through it, and she's a little bit ahead of me. And I was like, no, I'm not waiting for you to finish. I want to play this myself. So I dropped <laughs> another twenty five dollars on it. Another uh, another advantage of being an educator and having a full summer and winter break to play your video indeed. games. Indeed, it is. <laughs> All right, so I will leave you to enjoy the rest of your winter break and Chain Echoes. Um, I guess uh, I have the tenth game on the list and. 
I mean, there's a lot I could talk about. Maybe the most expected thing for me to do would be to go into Dragon Quest Treasures or Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. Uh, my my favorite game of 2019, AI the Somnium Files, had a had a sequel in 2022 that I thought was was good, not great. But I am going to maybe go against type. Uh, talk about a genre that I normally don't like very much, but I played. Uh, the quarry earlier this year and he, we even recorded the podcast together uh, peter treisenberg and i um uh, uh right around halloween i i i i should preface this with I, I know i've said this on the podcast before i don't really play very many horror games because i i don't like the feeling of being unsettled and sometimes i do react in a very high-strung manner to jump scares uh which i've told i've been told makes me entertaining to watch horror movies with but i don't necessarily enjoy a lot of them uh but so so horror is not a genre that i that i love with but with all of that said i thought the quarry was great because this is a this is supermassive games which is the uh um the studio that gave us until dawn and the many dark pictures anthology horror games over the last uh, uh six or seven years and this is a a large budget multi character one of those that that's bigger than a dark pictures game. So it's it, this feels like a follow up to Until Dawn for them, but uh, it's also campy and silly and weird. It's it's a bunch of teens at a summer camp where uh, one of them sabotages their ride home because he's trying to hook up with one of the other counselors. Uh, but but then but there's also like a weird family cursed by by a werewolf. Uh, by a werewolf curse so that these eight teenagers are trapped in in the woods with a bunch of werewolves and have to try and and, and uh, get to the bottom of the werewolf curse and there's a lot of snark and a lot of um and 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 a lot of sort of poking and prodding that the main characters do so there's like a the, the, the game has sort of a sarcastic tone to it that makes the dialogue very fun uh and and again there's these two like shy innocent teens that like each other and i'm i'm low-key rooting for them to hook up the whole time and there's but also there's there's the this teen that's trying to hook up with a girl and and he's kind of a jerk it's it has every trope of like a silly teen romance movie and also every trope of a like crazy slasher horror movie of the 1980s but in a very fun competent video game form where that has so many different endings that all eight can die or all eight can survive or all eight can survive, but they go to jail because there's so many dead bodies after after it all happens. <laughs> or uh, the best ending that I'm told, because I, I didn't get it, was everyone survive survives, but you find enough pieces of evidence that you can exonerate yourself by by showing all of the evidence to the to the authorities. Like that's there's a bunch of collectibles and and, and story paths and stuff that that will affect your ending and your and your you know post game uh mini bios that makes that made me want to replay this game right after finishing it for the first time uh but and it also it's, it has good acting performances with um a few actors that you've probably heard of there's a uh uh brenda song is in it um one of the i think one of the uh, uh kids from this is us is in it uh it, it's and oh and and uh, uh, uh david arquette is one of the is one of the main characters um and uh, oh shoot, Sam Raimi's brother is the cop at the beginning of the game. Oh, who, Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ted Raimi, that's him. He's a he. He has a major role. Uh, but this is a surprisingly well acted, campy but funny, scary but not overly scary, uh, werewolf camp adventure narrative game, 
and I don't normally like horror, but I thought it was super good. And so I've been monologuing for far too long. Um, uh, the quarry is great. It's a great, uh, a Halloween romp or a, just a, a horror game that doesn't try to get under your skin so much as have you run from werewolves a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I hope that I'm selling the game. Okay. Because I, I thought it was, it, it was very, very fun, even though I'm normally not a horror guy. Well, it doesn't sound like it takes itself too seriously, which is kind of cool. Uh, I know Bob really, really liked it when, uh, when Bob reviewed it. Um, Supermassive has really found themselves a, a good little niche here. They've gotten themselves into with these uh, cinematic style games that offer a lot of choice to the player uh, that really pay homage to, I guess, cinema of yesteryear. Um, they're not games that I've played, but they are games that look really cool. And considering that they come out on a regular basis, seem to have a surprising amount of polish on them. Yeah, I think they've yeah. been working on the quarry for a while now because a, a new Dark Pictures game comes out every year, uh, and but the quarry is at least twice as long as one of those, and uh, and I think they knew they were onto something when Until Dawn did so well on Twitch and other streaming services. So the the quarry has a bunch of like streaming features where uh, people that are watching the game can vote on decisions, and uh, and there's a lot of you know uh, multiplayer. Uh, uh, options both for in-person and uh, uh like couch co-op and online multiplayer it's it does a lot of very interesting uh uh design flares on those fronts has anyone else uh, played this besides me and i guess bob and peter i have not unfortunately no, no. well th- th- there's been a lot of that this episode where every game that's been revealed only one or two people have played it <laughs> but at least that got that got us a uh a pretty diverse set of perspectives. Um, again, the list that we have here is something like a hundred or 110 games. And we, and we only talked about 10 of them, but also I, I don't like having a podcast go much longer than two hours. So I, I think that's what we're going to be um, uh, co- uh, confined to here. But if, if, does anyone uh, want to talk about an, a, a game that we haven't mentioned yet? Just a one or two sentence hit. I'll give a quick shout out. I think, um, it's, def- it's not a game that released this year, but um, Persona 5 Royal finally came to somewhere other than just PlayStation, and I think that's great. If you haven't played the game, it's it's one of my favourite games of all time. It's it's well worth playing. Um, Numina is a pretty good um, traditional indie RPG. Uh, the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe seems like it's just going to be a, an expansion from the original, but it is so much more, and it's probably one of the best narrative experiences I've had in the last couple of years. Speaking of expansions, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak is an excellent expansion to my favorite Monster Hunter game. So if you want more of Monster Hunter Rise, Sunbreak is your only option, but it's a great option. It's, uh, it's, it's the game I played the most this year with neighborhood of 140 to 150 hours. You didn't cry in Chronicle Rising. Um, it was kind of a slight game, but it was a fun game, and it sets the stage really well for 100 Heroes, which is, you know, the main show here. So I, I thought it was fun, and it's worth checking out. Awesome. That's a, that's five bonus, uh, uh, bonus games that are worth checking from this list. Uh, but listeners, um, 2022 was a very good, very dense year for video games in general, RPGs and adventure games in particular. And uh, if you want to know about more games that came out this year, the best place to go to is RPGFan.com. If you check the uh, archive of reviews and features and podcast episodes, you will find all these games that we mentioned today, plus many, many more. 
uh, discussed in those uh, in those different theaters. But uh, one last question before we start closing up shop. Um, I mean, uh, Retro Encounter had about um, 35 or 40 episodes this year. I did take a break. Uh, in the spring and early months of summer, and uh, but uh, all four of you um, uh, showed up on on different episodes at different times. Do you, do any of you have not just Retro Encounter? Do any of you have a favorite podcast episode that you recorded for RPG Fan in 2022? Yeah, uh, I, I was on a, a couple this year, but I think my favorite was uh, was the 3DS Encounter episode. It, it's one of my favorite systems, and it was just a really really fun time to just uh, sort of talk about the systems legacy. I finally played a Tales game. So That's I was right. talking about that. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you, Zach, and I all played Tales of Exilia for the first time, and, and I thought it was a, a... I mean, I've played several Tales games, and I thought that was one of the one of the better ones. Yep. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, I was on Retro a lot this year. Uh, hmm. Mass Effects were good. Okay, for Retro, it would have to be the Muppet episode, though. The, <laughs> it, it was just a few days ago, but it yeah, was so it was much phenomenal. fun. God, it was fun <laughs> it was talking so fun. to you about that. <laughs> I had such a good time. But in terms of the podcast that almost killed me this year, it would have been the karaoke episode of Rhythm Encounter. Oh, boy. Yeah, I was on the Muppets episode and the karaoke episode and uh, uh, quite thoroughly embarrassed myself both times. But I but I would not take in either of those experiences back. <laughs> I It's a tough one. I, I'd say probably the one that I enjoyed the most, um, and I, I I guess I hosted it, but that's not why, um, was Xenoblade Chronicles 3, spoiler cast. Um, got some new people in who hadn't been on retro, got some old timers back like Alana. Um, and we went on for far too long about a game that we all really enjoyed. Right. And oh boy, I, I, I did a lot of retro this year. I, I was on every single game journal episode other than the January one. So I, uh, I, I, I think I've played like 11 games for retro the past six months alone. So I have a I have a lot to choose from. Unsurprising because I'm the I mean I'm the main host and showrunner of Retro Encounter. Oh boy, maybe this is uh, an obvious choice, but I, I really really uh, liked um, replaying the Mass Effect trilogy uh, again. I hadn't I uh, I liked those when I played them ten years ago, and they held up as well or better than my memory of them. So. Uh, again, the episodes weren't that interesting because they were basically just full-throated endorsements from all three people present. But uh, I think Mass Effect is so special, and it was—I had so much fun revisiting it this year. Well, I, I forgot about my that. real answer, which is the time I finally won the quiz show. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, that's right. You know what? We haven't had a quiz show in a couple of months, and we've done five quiz shows. Maybe. Should I start writing a tournament a tournament of champions quiz show? Oh, yeah. Oh boy. Just don't let former staff on because I know she'll win. Oh no. <laughs> that might be exactly the right episode for Alana to come out of retirement for. We'll see. But uh, and anyway, listeners, thank you for joining us on these dis- on a discussion of ten games that came out in 2022, plus a handful of others. Uh, we. This is the last Retro Encounter episode of 2022, but we have a lot of 2023 already planned out. Um, January is going to have four episodes. Uh, two of them will be about Ogre Battle 64, Person of Lordly Caliber. Uh, I have played a couple of Tactics Ogre games, but none, but no Ogre Battle games. So I'm going to try and um, get some Ogre RTS in my uh, in my hands starting next month. We're also doing. Uh, an episode on RPG fashion that is probably going to be completely bonkers. I, I know who's on that episode, and so get ready, just saying. And also, uh, uh, Tom, 
you, neither you nor I talked about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet or Pokemon Legends Arceus in this episode. So we're going to have an episode next year dedicated to just those. Uh, Pokemon had a big year in 2022. So we're doing a Pokemon episode in January to talk about those games. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and also one last thing. Um, uh, we do have uh, a, a Retro Encounter poll uh, winner that, um, let's see, the, the poll took place around early November. So that's something like six weeks ago, we had a poll for a future Retro Encounter episode where in which Lost Odyssey won. And I believe Lost Odyssey is going to be a February episode. So uh, expect two episodes on Lost Odyssey in February. And you know what? I'm going to drop some more mo- morsels uh, just because. Uh, Jono, we have not nailed this down in stone yet, but you and I both really want to play uh, Like a Dragon Ishin when it comes out in February. So I think we're doing an episode or possibly two episodes on that in early 2023, probably March or April. How did that sound to you? Oh, I suppose that I could, you know, probably come on to talk a little bit about that particular series. Oh, excellent. And and also, you know, while I'm talking about things I'm, I, I've bought recently, I bought an analog pocket. Uh, which is a really cool Game Boy, Game Boy Advance uh, retro machine. Uh, I got it in the mail a few months ago, and I really want to play some RPGs on it. So do not be shocked if we are having a GBA month or some GBA games uh, being played for the podcast in the first half of uh, 2023. And, oh, hmm, Tom, you've never played a Suikoden game, have you? No, I haven't. <laughs> and Zach, you've, you've played all the Suikoden games, haven't you? Once or twice, yeah. So, you know what? I am going to guarantee that we are going to, in the spirit of these Suikoden remasters and Aoden Chronicles uh, 100 Heroes coming out in 2023, let's give Retro Encounter episodes to all of those. So please expect more Suikoden and some Aoden in 2023. Well, I'll be there. Oh, I'll definitely be there. (laughs) Excellent. So that's enough uh, talking about the far future. Let's talk about the near future. Um, uh, Listeners, if you want to uh, get into contact with us, the best way to do so is to email retro at RPGFan.com. You can also find RPGFan on Facebook, RPGFan.com on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, RPGFan has a Discord, a YouTube channel, a Twitch channel, something going on on all of those just about every day. You can also go to RPGFan.com slash shop to find our merch store where you can get uh, apparel, coffee mugs, pins, phone cases, and other things emblazoned with the RPG Fan Emerald Shield. Uh, RPG Fan is also home to th- uh, two other podcasts, starting with Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness and mostly hosted by you, John O'Logan. Yeah, uh, Random Encounter, we just did our uh, we just did our look ahead at 2023 episode. We had a few shared people here. Uh, Zach and Tom were both on it, and we both we had a really good time talking about things that are coming up. And in addition to Random and Retro Encounter, there's also the Rhythm Encounter, our RPG music podcast. It is also bi-weekly um, on the Mondays that are not occupied by Random Encounter. But uh, listeners, you can review Random, Rhythm, and Retro Encounters on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Spotify or whatever service you prefer. Please give all of the positive feedback you are willing to give. But if you want to give us positive feedback um, as individuals and not as a podcast or a website, let's tell you how to do that. Uh, in which we share email or social media with y'all, uh, starting with you, Tom. Yeah, the uh, the best place to find me is would be on Twitter at VoicelessTom. Now you, Zach. Best way to find me is via email, ZachW at RPGFan.com. You can also find me on our Discord at ZachW. Now, Audra. Email is the best way to get in contact with me, AudraB at RPGFan.com. Now, Jono. 
uh, best way to get in contact with me is jloganrpgfan.com. I've also recently created a Mastodon account on mastodon.social, but I have absolutely no idea how this damn thing works yet, so I'll just have to share that in the future. And you know, I probably should start a Mastodon account. Uh, maybe I can be Solosi at Mastodon when I ha- when I missed the Solos at Solosi on Twitter by about a month when I signed up for Twitter a decade ago. But uh, until that happens, listeners, the best way to find me individually is on Twitter. I am at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoca for Dogs at other times, and in RPG fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So uh, 2022, it it's been a pretty good year, but. Uh, now is the time to you know look ahead to 2023 and maybe uh, i can finally finish more than one xeno game thank you good night and good luck